Do you ever want to be a guest on a super cool podcast hosted by a glamorous power couple from their cutting-edge home studio on the outskirts of a major metropolitan world hub? Hollywood, anyone? Us, too. Until then, let's pretend. One of these days, you might get a DM, a PM, an EM, or even a message in a bottle inviting you to join my husband and I for an hour or two in our chat lab, working on solutions for all the world's problems. And when you are invited, there's only one response. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Hello, Mr. Erickson. Can you hear us? I can. Great. We can hear you well. Uh, let me know if I'm too loud. Nope. You're good. You're okay. good. Should we keep up yeah. with the misters or should we call you Eric? Yeah, let's not do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's not do what (laughs) let's not let's not do the misters that okay cool that's That's your dad that's a combination of my father and when i used to be a teacher so both Ah. of those are not not good things so okay oh so we've got some teaching questions to ask yeah well we have a number of teachers that have come on i think yeah i mean well one person that we spoke to jeff demarie he he went from artistic careers to teaching as with a love of teaching he learned that he loved teaching so much that he went to that his his beginnings in school was anthropology and he but that's a whole story and he led quite the amazing he's led quite the amazing life and he's just now getting ready to turn was it 40 or 50 40 40 yeah Yeah. and Uh, and he's he's a young and yeah he's working (laughs) to become a principal so, oh, good yeah, grief. I'm, uh, I've got 50, I've got 15 years on him and Bill's a couple years behind me. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that'll ever happen for me. I, I keep stumbling into it what? and then out of it and back into it. Teaching? So. Yeah. Yeah. It, I've, I've done it in several different ways and it just mm-hmm. keeps kind of, I keep getting pulled back into it, but mm-hmm. it's always a fun experience and short term. Yeah. I don't ever see myself teaching kindergartners or something like that. That that right. won't happen. Well, so. usually they they pick like cute girls for the kindergartners, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, is, is, what age range do you find the most attractive as far as being a teacher? Oh, like college, high school. Oh, okay. Like so yeah. yeah, yeah. It's um, I don't not kids. That's it's, mm-hmm. I did it once in Korea. I taught kids, and it was a bit rough. Yeah. Yeah. Currently, Jeff is in a a situation where he's teaching, I think, seventh and eighth grade, like junior, like a junior high school mix, kind of like seventh through ninth. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you know, he he has picked the most difficult ages (laughs) that you can pick with children. Mine have always been specialty. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like I taught ESL for a while. I taught an entertainment summer discovery program in a college, mm-hmm. you know, so it's always, mm-hmm. or it's entertainment based or creative based, or it's, you know, not general education. So not so, like a, a teacher at a school as opposed to like, you know, just specialized things like classes, courses, something that really interests you. Something that dra- that's drawn from my background or from what I've done. Like even when I was an ESL teacher, the reason they brought me in was because um, in Korea, they, pitch their teachers at these certain schools based on what they bring to the classroom. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a selling point. So at that point I just finished up writing for the Chicago Tribune. So they sold, they would, when, Let me when they were trying right here and let's get into the recording. Okay. This is very interesting <laughs> and I'd love to include it 
in the show. Go for it. Okay. So, <laughs> hi, listeners. Welcome back to Yeah, Aha uh-huh with Lisa and Phil. This week, we're talking to Eric Erickson, a filmmaker, a writer, a director, an actor, and we just found out a teacher. So, if you could elaborate a little bit on your teaching background. Hi, it's nice to be with you guys. My teaching background. So what we were talking about off the mm-hmm. air is we were yes. chatting about how I seem to be keep I keep getting brought into these teaching situations based mm-hmm. upon my uh, creative background. Mm-hmm. And I've taught uh, a couple of years ago, I taught at UCLA, Ooh, wow. uh, the summer discovery program, which was a, a program for teenagers and, and first year college students getting ready to expand their educational experience Mm -hmm. so i taught entertainment and entrepreneurship there and for a while i was an esl teacher to clarify listeners just in case that is english as a second language correct 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 so i taught in chicago but i also taught in korea for a short time Mm -hmm. and i taught it was it was interesting because i had i had two distinct classes Mm -hmm. in the afternoon i had a college prep where I was dealing with high school students who were getting ready to go on to university. Mm-hmm. And in the morning I had six and seven year olds. <laughs> so oh, wow. that was, it was, it was a strange experience. And the teaching over there is very different mm-hmm. because first of all, the, the programs are sold as programs. So okay. I guess that if you were going to compare it to something in the United States, you would compare it to like, you know, I'm in film, so I'll use film as an example. If you wanted to go to a certain film program, mm-hmm. they would say, come to our film program because our teacher just won an Academy Award. Okay. And, you know, so so in Korea, the way that the a lot of the schools did it, they would say, well, they would market me. So they said, well, come to our school because I had just finished writing for the Chicago Tribune. And they, so they just used that as a selling point. Okay. So they said, come to our school because we have a former Chicago Tribune journalist who's one of our teachers. Six and seven-year-olds don't care about that. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> but the other so thing about their parents teaching, might. I mean, the parents did. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because yeah. it's, they, it's, I, I don't think parents are different around anywhere around the world because they always want to get into their groups and say, well, my kid is going to a school with a former Chicago Tribune t- a journalist. Mm-hmm. You know, well, my student just won a blue ribbon at the fair, Yeah. you know? So the other weird thing there is here, when we teach our students how to speak, you know, learn English when they're very young and learning to speak or when they're learning another language, we, le- we teach the mechanics of it. We teach very much like how to build sentences and how words interact and, and that kind of thing. Over there, it's much more memorization. So I was actually given a book. Mm-hmm. And for these younger students, they the instruction was to teach them to memorize the book. Oh. And the thought is, if they learn the words, even though it's memorizing a book, then right. they will have the words in their mind. And then that's how they will learn. And, and I can't say I agree that it's a great way to teach. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of what they asked me to do. So I, being me, didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I, can see, <laughs> I can kind of see the logic there, though, that it gives you a foundation of words and a mm-hmm. structure to use the context mm-hmm. to use words to draw from, at least. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it can. It, it can. It's a different culture over there. It's yeah. very more. It's very rigid. 
right, when it comes right. to education. So it, when you look at the larger scheme, when it fits into how they do everything, I can see how that's a part of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. It would just not work in the United States. Plus, right. we also tend to question a lot more, I think, here. Right. Right. Well, we're, yeah, we're taught to question. And then two, I think that I have, I've, I've read things to the effect that with the teaching style in America, it's more teaching you how to learn as opposed to just memorization. And that's why the whole, I feel like teaching to the test is more of the, the European Asian method of just emphasizing memory and memorization. Yeah, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. Yeah. I would. And, I think and, we're starting to see different approaches. Yeah. You know, now that you have magnet so. schools and you have the, uh-huh. you know, the academies and different things. I, I don't have kids. So it's always kind of an interesting experience for me. So I've never had to deal with new math. Okay. I've never had to try and sit down with them, but I've had friends and they just like are pulling their hair out. And they're like, this doesn't make sense. You know, and I'm like, two yeah. and two is six. You know, so I stick to my creative subjects and we mm-hmm. talk and more concepts and art and mm-hmm. uh, film and language and stuff. Yeah. So stay in my lane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't, you know, we got a lot of stuff to talk about with, with you, but I was just wondering if as a teacher, you know, you think of uh, you, you create a syllabus and you have an agenda, you come to the classroom, you want to, you want to cover a certain number of things, but isn't it kind of uh, the sign of a good class is when maybe you don't really refer to the syllabus so much. You, pr- you bring up something that stimulates um, conversation oh. and, and participation of the students, and it kind of organically goes off. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are the best days. Like when I was at UCLA, when I was at UCLA, it was difficult because a lot of my students were, were international students. But I was used to that because I had taught ESL. Right. So, you know, sometimes it's difficult because you might have two or three students who dominate the class, which you're happy for, mm-hmm. because, you know, as long as they're actively dominating the class because they're interested, not because they're like, look at how well I can speak English. But those days where I could facilitate a discussion and then, you know, you'd break for the end of class and you go back to your syllabus or your class uh teaching sheet for the day and you're like oh wow we we didn't even cover half of what i expected to do today but we had an amazing discussion and we learned and we covered other topics that's a great feel that's a great feeling and i think part of the reason that i enjoy that so much is because i'm also a performer Mm -hmm. so i think there's a you know maybe a little ego but Mm -hmm. the little stand-up comedian in me that like loves to be up there and leading the the, the discussion and, and getting the energy going and getting everybody mm-hmm. excited. And, you know, it's like a, th- it's like a play. It's like being in theater, that, that energy feedback mm-hmm. you know, with everybody. So I totally agree. I have friends who are performers who also teach and I know they feel the same way, but we've had discussions about it and we have to be careful that it's not, we're not the star of the show. Right. You know, and I've had actor friends who were teachers and then they're like, oh, well, I just did a 45 minute monologue. And it's like, well, it's not night at the improv. It's, you know, you're (laughs) supposed to be working with these students and you just gave a speech for 45 minutes and I'll bet half of them just checked out. Yeah. You know, so it's a, it's a unique balance to be able to entertain, educate, excite, and make sure that they walk away feeling they learned something. And you'd be shocked how many of them go back to their parents. And if they didn't learn something, they're like, you get a call, the school yeah. gets a call and they're like, well, what, you know, what's going on in that classroom? Yeah. Right, right. You can't point the fingers at the students. 
no, no, it's absolutely, you know, and, and not all students want to be yeah. there. That's just a fact. Anybody, even if some of these programs where they're paying huge amounts of money, mm-hmm. you know, to get this educational experience, it doesn't mean the kid wants to be there. Right. Mm-hmm. I've been know. in classrooms where the teacher, it's, they're just begging for any kind of feedback whatsoever. And it's just stone silence. You know, it's really, that's got to be a challenging as like you said, as a performer to kind of continue on with the passion, I guess, about a topic when you're not getting any real feedback from the, from the class. It, I don't have that problem. I, and I don't know if it's because uh, I, this sounds so egotistical, but I can be a hell of an entertainer. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> right. And I don't mind making fun of myself and I don't mind being self deprecating, uh, deprecating. And I don't mind, you know, being the, the, the brunt of the joke in order to, to get them to get active. But I, there's also tricks when, you know, if I was a math teacher who had been a math teacher for 20 years, I can't walk in with the same tools that I have having worked in the entertainment industry. So, so I would walk in and I if pull up a video mm-hmm. and be like, okay, well, we're talking about this subject. I can pull up a video of me in a movie right. doing what I'm talking about. And I win. Mm-hmm. I win every time because yeah, they're either yeah. going to go, oh my God, that was you. Mm-hmm. Or, wow, you look so stupid, if that's what I wanted, because I've done right. some bad movies, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I have these stories that I can pull from. So that gives me that gives me leverage that other instructors don't have. But then they have other leverage that I don't have, mm-hmm. you know. So it's using the tools that that you have in the best way possible. Right. And I've also had, even aside from film, I've had some really amazing experiences and adventures that I'm able to draw from that pull them in and then it's like it's like any good teacher will tell you it's that it's that switch it's that right. kind of that bait and switch it's like oh i pulled you in now you're gonna learn <laughs> you know yeah i showed so. you <laughs> damn it he taught me yeah. despite all my efforts you were able to teach me something mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but so you mentioned the acting you know the the entertaining side of your personality and uh, so Let's dive a little bit into some of your creative pursuits, like your movie making. Yeah, we uh, we watched that was compelling, and then we also watched a short where you were burying a gentleman, and and you kind of did a like a almost a therapy session with him. Oh, Hitman! That's yeah. a yes. wow! That's a that's that's an old one. That was good though. You went. You, you went. Very you went back. natural in it. Oh. Well, I mean, those are the only two things we actually watched that we we found. Our yeah, there's a, our, our secret is we we go through like you know we dive deep into YouTube, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's our secret research. But there was really nothing in YouTube on you, and we tried your name. And there's a lot of Eric Erickson's out there. And we tried Viking Dog Entertainment, and that well, didn't show up on YouTube either. So you know, well, Viking Dog's on YouTube. I'm not. There's a lot of bootlegs out there of, of yeah. movies that I've done, so they're definitely okay. out there. Because yeah. I've done a lot of B, I I did a lot of B movies for like the Asylum and some yeah. of those. So you know. we we weren't going to mention that part. No, I'm no, I'm just just... <laughs> <laughs> we weren't going to bring it up if you didn't. <laughs> oh no, it's it's part of what we do. You know, I yeah. I mean, honestly, those were you know, if we're talking about filmmaking, there's there's different levels of it. So for right, example. Absolutely. You, you bring up Truth, which is, mm-hmm. a, you know, it's an award-winning drama that I'm really very proud of. Thank you. You know, not only did, not only did it allow us to do something very different 
mm-hmm. and under a very controlled set of circumstances i mean the the response to it has been life changing whether it was you know just people i still get emails every once in a while people are like i just watched it and it was like wow the the fact that you guys were able to pull that off Mm-hmm. to i mean the film festival circuit i was invited and flown to russia to present it as the american representative at the arctic film festival mm-hmm. and you know these are life-changing experiences mm-hmm. of of the of as a drama mm-hmm. and a, a quick story on that that'll explain it is so i was when i went to russia mm-hmm. the, the at the film festival there were two different screenings of it and the first screening was it was at a very large theater, like an AMC, their version of the AMC. So it was hundreds of seats and very large auditorium. Yeah. And the, at the first screening, it was completely full and it was all film buffs and young college students and, you know, people that were really into the festival. And there was a, you know, ovation at the end, Q&A, television appearance afterwards, and just, you know, right. lots of questions. And they were all like film questions. They were like, how did you do this? Why did you make this decision? Mm-hmm. Through a translator, of course. And um, then on Sunday, the last day of the festival, there was a second screening and the, my translator said, I would, I just want to warn you because it's Sunday morning, it's December, you may not have as many people there. And I just don't want you to be disappointed. And I said, well, you know, that's fine. And we show up. And once again, the entire auditorium is completely full. Cool. And, and I'm looking around at the people and I'm like, something's different about these people. And I couldn't put my finger on it. So at the end of the screening, I stood up and started answering questions and I'm looking out and I'm like, what is it about these people that's different? And it suddenly dawns on me as the first question comes up, this woman stands up and says, so when the secret police took my mother and I'm like, oh my God, all the people in this audience are over the age of 60. And oh, wow. the movie is well, about you. Sense because older people get up earlier. Well, yeah, but it's, yeah. <laughs> so what dawned on me was because the movie is about, you know, political prisoners and and refugees and war crimes and, you know, and all that kind of stuff is I had an entire audience full of people who had actually gone through what I put on screen. Wow. Because they were all over the age of 60. So one by one, I started getting questions about when my uncle disappeared, when my father was returned by the by the secret police, when this and that, and it really was a life changing experience. You know, so that's one side of film is doing these projects that really touch people and really are like we get to get this idea out we get to explore this idea we get to affect Mm -hmm. people and then there's another side of it which is the b movies and the fun you know fighting dinosaurs and fighting snakes and fighting sharks you know on the sci-fi channel and stuff where i get to go make movies with my friends Mm -hmm. you know and these are people you know acting against a blue screen or or be like okay well you know this is a this is a 10 story snake that you're (laughs) that you're fighting with and yeah and instead what you've got is a crew member dressed in a green suit holding like a a broomstick or something pretty pretty much pretty much a tennis ball over your head yeah they don't expect you to just you know yeah yeah because i went from (laughs) i went from doing truth where you know i was locked in I was locked in basically a jail cell, prison cell. I lost, I, at the time when I started, right before I started shooting, I think I was at 185 pounds. Uh And by the time um, I finished shooting, I was down to 165. I think I lost that much weight and just, just a mess. And then within a month, 
mm-hmm. I was shooting Jurassic Galaxy, which is dinosaurs in space. Yeah. You know, so the mindset, it was actually nice to go from this psychological, like, situation where kind of it's just, over. you know. Trauma. Yeah. You, you trauma, absolutely. Trauma I st- the imagination of it. I mean, yeah. And I yeah. mean, you did go through some stuff there. Yeah. Oh, I definitely, I suffered. I, I'm not too. Physically. Too, physically and mentally. I definitely, mm-hmm. I still have physical. I messed up my shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. And then we actually had someone on set who, who, who knew about all that stuff. So they helped me through it and made sure that, you know, we had some, we actually had a woman that worked with us who kind of dealt with some counseling and stuff. So in the waterboarding scene was crazy, but then to go just to turn around and go do this fun dinosaurs in space movie where I didn't have to think about that kind of stuff. Plus I'm I'm gathering you weren't the boss on that one. On the the on Jurassic in space, yeah. No, no, it was it was it was just friends of mine that I'd worked with on several productions right. that run a production company, and I think I helped I helped with the script a little bit. You know, I did a little tinkering on the script, but yeah, I know I know that I'm a big fan of like a good B movie, and sometimes even a really bad one. Sometimes <laughs> the movie's so bad it's good, like Plan Nine from Outer Space. <laughs> which was one of the that was the first my dad that's kind of how my dad introduced me to like science fiction and things it was one of the first movies I remember watching with my dad and I might have been like <laughs> six or seven and it was just funny well Bella goes you know, the fact that my dad's and, laughing yeah. his ass off at this and so it made me laugh and it it made me I didn't know it at the time but it made me a lifelong Ed Wood fan oh yeah so, absolutely absolutely yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a huge mystery science theater fan. Uh-huh. So, I, yeah. I don't get into all of that, you know. Well, there's uh, a lot of cheese ball. You're talking about uh, yeah. low-budget kind of cornball movies. That's what yeah. mystery science theater right. is all it about. Right, it specializes yeah. in that. Yeah. yeah. The thing, you know, the, the thing I think, and, and I talk mm-hmm. about this with my friends who make who, who make those movies, and, and we all, we there's different people in the industry. Like some of us, we definitely aspire to, we understand what we're doing. You know, it's like, okay, here's the amount of money that we're, that we're given to make this. Here's, here's our um, limitations. What can we do within those limitations? You know, and we all aspire to do the best movie that we can. There are some people who literally think they're making a great movie and they're not. Right. And, and, and those are the people you kind of go like, Hmm. you know, I think it's great that you're making a film, but you need to acknowledge what you're doing. You're not making, there, there are literal people who make some of these movies. (laughs) Sorry that? You're not making an Oscar uh, contender. Right, exactly. But they think they are. And that's oh, yeah. and it's this this divorce from reality sometimes that you have to be aware of in the industry. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's tiring mm-hmm. because you know, you're always you're working with these people and it's like, Oh, well, I'm making this movie for this amount of money and here's the subject matter. And you're like, Oh, okay. And they're like, Yeah, we're gonna get into Sundance. And it's like, Mm-mm. Yeah, no. Yeah. You know, it's just not gonna happen. But you can't you you have to be positive and you have to, you mm-hmm. know you know you you want to be supportive but at the same time you have to take care of yourself well, the, the number one to... job is to entertain the audience i would think yeah. exactly well yeah. it is and i think some of that's the point that i diverged from was i think that some people forget that it's what they're making and i think you see some of these movies sometimes that are b movies and they take themselves too seriously Mm-hmm. And I think if you can put that tongue in your cheek a little bit and wink at the audience, be like, "Look, we know we're making a movie about alien monsters that are brought back from the dead." Wink, mm-hmm. wink. We know it. Come mm-hmm. along for this fun ride. 
And I think that's when people like, enjoy it more. Z Nation as opposed to Walking Dead. Exactly. Exactly. And I have friends who work on Z Nation. And, I love and Z they... Nation. I, the fact that it is over just breaks or my heart. Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of Dead's a perfect uh-huh. perfect example. Like Walking Dead, I had I finally had to give up after yeah. after the farmhouse or after the prison. I finally because I read the comics too and I was like Yeah. All right, you know, it's a bit much for me. It's it's been a little pretentious maybe, a little bit too self important or something. There's a point well, there's a point where it's like life is grim enough. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I don't every exactly. Sunday night I don't need to be Thank reminded. You. Thank you very much. That's what I. That's why I tend to not want to watch the news. Oh yeah, I've had, and I'm a former journalist, that, and I can't yeah. watch the news anymore. I, I don't need to know that some woman drowned her kid because her boyfriend didn't want a baby or a child. Yeah, and then the boyfriend—it was just an excuse, and and anyone saying knows it was just an excuse. You know? Yeah, and if it's presented. Me, he can't be my boyfriend because I have a cat. I'm not getting rid of the cat. <laughs> It's presented for, and and I say this as someone who used to work in it. It's presented for sensationalism. I mean, you, it's the old story of the the newspaper. Or if you walk by the newspaper stands, for those who remember newspaper stands, if 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 you walk by and you see bright and sunny weather Mm -hmm. as the headline, you're not going to stop and pick up the newspaper because you're like, well, that doesn't affect my life. That's a wonderful thing, and I'm Mm -hmm. I'm going to whistle my way down. But if you walk by and it said huge storm heading in. Mm-hmm. You're going to pick up that paper because you were like, how does that affect me? What does that change my life? How does that? Yeah. And, know, and so in this day, a this huge storm heading in could be anywhere in the world. Exactly. Exactly. But it's, but it's phrased in such a way where you need to know about it. And, and but, but then technically we're, we're in Cincinnati, Ohio. And technically speaking, we did have a hurricane come here. Yeah, we did. And knock out our power for days. It was just wind hurricane, the but it was top, hurricane they, level wind. They called it tree treetop hurricane. Yeah. I remember those. Uh-huh. I lived. And, um, I lived in Chicago for a while, so I remember some of the the treetop storms. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now the the treetop hurricane that hit Cincinnati. It, it's the first hurricane to hit Cincinnati in recorded history. Well, no, I mean, um, eighty mile per hour winds. Where if you're yeah. in Florida, that's probably mm-hmm. nothing. But the infrastructure here is not is designed, not designed to, for it. Right. Yeah. So we were knocked out for like yeah. eight days. I mean, we were some of the lucky people. For one thing, neither of our neither of our works lost power. So we were able to go to work. And then we have gas water heaters and gas like heat. Mm-hmm. So the only thing we lost was electric. Right. Let's bring it back to truth just a little bit more. I want to talk a little bit more Uh about it because I think it's deserving. Mm -hmm. It's kind of an ambitious movie. And I think it delivered on, you know, the dialogue between you and Rachel Alec, who was outstanding Mm -hmm. as Maria, I thought. I thought she was really good. Yeah, I mean, her. Yeah, Rachel's amazing. Yeah, her. Now, did you, was that an open casting? Did you already know her? Did you have her in mind when you wrote the role? I didn't have her in mind when I wrote the role, but she. I had made a movie called Last Call at Murray's with Rachel with we did it was an ensemble movie that Michael Gross from Family Ties was in it and uh-huh. John Savage he was also in it and it was this group of people stuck in a bar during a snowstorm movie and Rachel and I were in it but we actually knew each other from before that the very first time Rachel and I ever met we both modeled for a romance novel cover together oh, so okay. I, it was like a Fabio, I had longer hair at the time and it was like a Fabio (laughs) thing. And, and that's how we met. And it was very funny because she had to be 
the it's a very steamy cover and it's like hi my name is rachel and they took her top off and she pressed up against me and it's like nice to meet you <laughs> so so we we became friends yeah. and so when we got to truth like mm-hmm. i knew that because of the production schedule and because of the nature of the movie i'm like it has to be somebody that i know mm-hmm. because we don't have a lot of time to rehearse we don't have a lot of time to get into things and just because mm-hmm. we shot it over seven days and we shot it almost like a play you know very you yeah. know we couldn't go back day by day we hit mile mile uh, markers and then we we wouldn't return so i asked rachel to read it and she read it and she absolutely loved it and we talked about it and she's mm-hmm. like i get the character here's what i would do i'm like awesome and we had some people involved initially i wasn't going to direct it initially i'd written it and i wasn't starring in it and i had a we had another direct a couple directors who were mm-hmm. circling it and they wanted to see other people and i'm like okay that's fair so we brought in we went through a few hundred actresses mm. and we got it down to about a half a dozen and we brought them in to read and there was if i remember right there was one other woman who did a really great job, but she had some conflicts on the schedule and Rachel, and we had Rachel come in and read as well. And we all were like, these were like Rachel and this other woman. And, and, and then that we kind of held them side by side and we saw the conflicts. And then, and I said, yeah, but we have Rachel and I have a history. We have, we know each other. We've worked together before. I'm like that, that is a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. So we agreed. And then there was a shift and I ended up, um, directing it and then it just all kind of came together so mm. we had one table read slash stand up rehearsal before we actually shot oh wow. that was all that's uh, so we got right into it that's kind of which couldn't happen to, with anybody else kind yeah. of like a stairway to heaven story where it all came together it really <laughs> did come together and the the weird thing so <laughs> not weird but the the process like now a uh, distance is a wonderful thing. So now that I can look back at it. So basically the right before um, I went in to start paperwork and that kind of stuff, my wife and I separate. So the pre-production about three months of pre-production for that film mm. was me going through a separation and a divorce. Mm. So, so I need to lose a few more pounds, which is easy. Cause I don't know if you've ever gone through something like that, but eating is not something you think about. And I was exercising hey, I'm an hiking. emotional eater so I go the other direction oh yeah it was uh yeah I went the other I went I went the the other way Kinda so it's yeah. um a lot of that was funneled into the performance you know the 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 pain and the the anxiety and you know it, ga- it gave it a very interesting place to draw from um so, so. I told you uh, when I saw the previews before having seen the film it reminded me a little bit of a movie I'd seen called Closet Land with Alan mm-hmm. Rickman and Madeline Stowe but then after I, and, and visually it kind of mimicked that a little bit, but then when we actually watched the film, we found out it was quite different, but uh, you indicated you had seen that. What, uh, did you draw on anything from that? I, de- I did. I definitely did. I first saw Closet Land when it came out. And so mm-hmm. that, I mean, I'm dating myself with that, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I used to have the VHS version of it. So I think I'd actually even talked to the so director you, at one right? point. So I definitely, <laughs> sorry. In case you want to date Philip, he had the VHS as well. 
<laughs> I don't think you should, I think you should clarify. I don't think he wants to date me. <laughs> You're saying to place a date chronologically. Oh, okay, okay. To 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 show to show in the grand scheme of time how old we are. Right. Yes, there um, you go. There you go. We, we qualify um, so def- for AARP. <laughs> not yet. I just I just had a birthday. I'm not quite yet, there yet, though. The emails well, are starting soon, I'm sure. Right. Uh, mine um, started at like 48. So yeah, well. And I'm gonna be 55 <laughs> next month. So <laughs> not quite there yet. Getting there. Mm-hmm. Some some days are better than others. So I it def- going back to Closetland. So definitely it was an inspiration. And it's always interesting because when I was pitching, I actually know I, I met, he go, he works out of my gym, is one of the producers of Closet Land. And I was talking to him one day about, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm working on this project and I'm going da 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 And he's like, oh, that sounds like a movie I, I helped make years ago. And I'm like, what, Closet Land? He's like, yeah. And it was, it was this very weird serendipitous mm-hmm. moment where I was like, so can I chat with you about this film? Yeah. And it it was an inspiration. The biggest inspiration for me was how to keep that action moving in that small space, right. because I didn't want to use the same, you know, obviously I didn't want to use the same tricks and tools and, you know, the psychological stuff the same way that movie did. I wanted to do it my way. Right. And, but it was about how to keep the, the interest moving when you're in a, 20 by 12 space or whatever the the measurements were right and you know and in that movie they do it a lot by blindfolding her and 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 do alan does a lot of interesting vocal things and a lot of mental Mm -hmm. stuff so in truth it was the the audio tapes and you know the fake outs and some of that stuff which which one of my early early one of the early people that was involved in the process said you have to get rid of those by the way Hmm. They were like, you need to use, you need to use VHS or DVDs. You need to bring a TV in and actually show those interviews. And I'm like, no, it has to be audio. Yeah. Hmm. You know, so. Yeah. um, I mean, limiting it to one sense gives it a strength to me. Very much so. And I, I credit a lot of that to Joel, my, my cinematographer. Joel is, Joel Hodge is a, He's brilliant. He he got nominated for Sundance for Bellflower. He just ended up, he did some work on the latest James Cameron Avatar film. He's got an amazing eye. And we talked about it. And it's like, how can we make the space change? And you'll notice like as it goes through, like the lights come on and then suddenly the room's a little bigger and we shoot from different angles. And, and mm-hmm. there's different, every few minutes we try and do things to to shift the perspective and i credit so much of that to joel yeah. and we yeah. worked on a couple films together so we have kind of a shorthand you know so he did an amazing job on that and then another thing is my editor james condelic we edited it together and i don't know if you noticed but the color changes as you move through the movie i don't i i didn't it was very subtle well that's good yeah so i it, think it, that that probably does create an emotional change or effect since you really didn't use very much like music to set the emotional tone yeah yeah Yeah. so i james that was james's idea and Mm -hmm. you know i i I loved the lighting lighting yeah yeah i want it like a like a high contrast like oil painting kind of feeling almost you know and and between the lighting joel brought in and james helped with that color change you know Mm -hmm. it, it becomes you know, there's blues that go in there and it becomes colder and then it becomes, mm-hmm. you know, this, this darker, warmer, you know, and it all comes together. So, 
Yeah. So it lends itself almost to, uh, you know, it could, you could almost see it done in a, as a stage play, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. We actually, I actually, you can buy the screenplay mm-hmm. as a book. And part of the reason was I wanted to offer it out there for that exact reason that if somebody was interested in doing it as a stage play, you know, here's the, here's the screenplay, right. You know, cause I know when I, when I went to college again, showing my age in the grand scheme of things, my college was one of the first people to do reservoir dogs as a stage play. Oh, oh okay. Love that. And, and that always yeah. stuck with me. Cause I think there's certain play of uh, films that, that work for, can work very well as a stage play. So I'd I'd love it if somebody if some you know young theater group or some college group said hey we want to stage this I'd I'd be a hundred percent behind it I'd I'd mm-hmm. go see it right? yeah I'd I'd love to see that you know well you you mentioned books so we want to talk a little bit about your books but let's go ahead and take a break for our sponsor right here and when we come back with Eric we'll talk about uh, a recent book that he's published all right. You there? I'm here. Okay. Everybody happy? Got drinks and hun? Yeah. Yeah. Some water in this? Oh, yeah. I put uh, water bottles in the freezer and let them freeze part way. And then we just add water. And that way I get really cold water in my bottles. (laughs) That's smart. Who's who's your sponsor, by the way? Anchor. 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 A-N-C-H-O-R the dishware you set up the podcast and everything oh okay initially so it's like this uh it's like a starter sponsor okay so usually we use this as either a chance to take a break or we just count down like a few seconds it's it's more of an editing break than anything else right so that philip knows where to insert the con the commercial he does all our editing and i think he does a bang-up job well thank you oh I was just curious because we're, I've done podcasts in the past Mm -hmm. and I'm actually launching a new one at the end of the month. So I was, I was just kind of curious about how the landscapes changed Yeah, as far as everything goes. Well, okay. Our sponsor is Anchor and we have made almost what, $4 (laughs) or have we topped $4? (laughs) Mind you, to start the podcast, we bought a, uh, we bought a soundboard, we bought a new computer, we bought two microphones, two microphone stands, two different microphone stands because those didn't work out, and Real some quick. headphones. <laughs> uh, so with Anchor, uh-huh. or there are other, there are other um, companies like companies. this, but what they'll do is they'll take your um, RSS feed and they'll publish it out to all the major podcast platforms, Apple, mm-hmm. you know. Spotify, Google, mm-hmm. and so you get you only have to go to one place to publish to all those platforms. So that's and they do it automatically. Yeah, it just you know once you. I should probably keep this in as an mm-hmm. advertisement for you know. For, yeah, let's <laughs> do they host? A... Do they host your RSS as well? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you don't have to do a separate. You don't have to have no. a separate host. And, and it's RSS. it's okay. free, right? I mean, it's free. Yeah, yeah and you can monetize it. And uh, right, we decided to do that, and then. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah. okay. But uh, yeah, but I mean, what I find is that a lot of people are like, if you don't have a YouTube of a podcast, some people just don't seem to be able to find it. So, mm-hmm. so we haven't done much YouTubing, but yeah, you know. Philip feels when we put something on YouTube, he feels like he has to add a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the one YouTube that we do have out there actually includes footage of him grilling. Yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> 
<laughs> which is which is I guess our kind of nod to Ed Wood. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Just adding something totally gratuitous that makes no sense whatsoever. Well, like for instance, let, let's say we took this right here and I was uh-huh. going to make a YouTube of this. Right. You know, I wouldn't want an hour of just me and Eric, yeah. you know, our names up there. You know, I right, would want to, right. I would want to have some kind of slideshow going or something. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Show your book or show your website or something. Right. Yeah. Right. There would yeah. be, you know, images. So that's a lot more work. Right. Especially if you have to edit the audio too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's just a lot of work. Anyway. That's, yeah. that's when I think it's important. Like, I, I come from radio. So, uh-huh. I mean, I, I, my, I was doing radio hosting as a teenager. Mm-hmm. so you know i'm i'm old school when it comes to that but i know now that everyone's like well you have to have video with it and i'm like well i listen to podcasts all the time that have no video and i'm happy right. with it right but i know it's different it all but it also depends on who you're who you're what the show is what the theme is what the the who the guest is what you're talking about and mm-hmm. everything so yeah maybe one day invest in the video side of it but as i've been scheduling guests and i'm and they're like well is this a video thing and i'm like no, 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 we're going to use Zoom, but we're only going to record it. But I'm, yeah. we're going to turn the video on so we can see each other, so we can interact a little better. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm only using the audio. They're like, "Oh, good, I don't have to do my makeup," or "Oh, good, I can wear," you know, yeah, you know, That's whatever. The first question yeah. everybody has is, "Is going to be video?" Because people do want to prepare if it's going to be video. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. One of my guests is a, a former WWE wrestler, and she she's a good friend of mine but we're going to talk it's it, the topic is more about gender equality and gender roles and stuff like that mm-hmm. and and she's like she's like when do you want to do it i'm like well i have a slot at 10 a.m she's like really i'm like you don't have to i'm like we won't use the video she's like oh good okay fine yeah yeah i can yeah. do that <laughs> well. it's like 10 a.m i'm just 10 a.m is when i start the coffee pot it's- well i won't ask you who that is but i i, I used to watch wwe yeah. i don't watch wrestling much anymore but i'm curious so when that drops I'll- uh it's cat cat waters she 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 was in she was on raw for about two years mm. okay she never Everyone she's never got over the way way everybody else did i have a few friends i did i was the stunt double for sting in a commercial okay and then i also did a couple episodes of lucha underground okay. seek and destroy yeah. that was his intro mm-hmm. yep. yep yeah he he i did his wire work for a commercial because he had gained a couple pounds and hadn't been <laughs> able to lose them yet uh-huh. before he kind of did his comeback a couple of years ago yeah well, so nice guys, really nice guy. Yeah, yeah, I've he, heard yeah. that. Yeah. Super yeah. popular. Now, is it Sting yeah. that's in that new movie, uh, the murder movie with Martin Short and uh, and Steve Martin? I don't. And is that Sting in the elevator? Oh, this is no, that. no, not Sting the singer. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is the wrestler. Sting the wrestler. It, it kind of never mind. It kind of looks like <laughs> the crow. The crow, right? Yeah. I'll I'll do my Emily Latella person or impersonation. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all good stuff. Yeah. Let's mm-hmm. let's get back into it. Back here to you. And okay. Talk about Eric Erickson, <laughs> the writer. You've recent. I think it's your first published book, but I could be wrong. My first novel. Okay. Mm-hmm. Your first yeah. novel, Ascension. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we we've read the prologue and we've bought the book. Yeah, because I want to read it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's right up my alley. I do read a lot of fantasy fiction. I read some like D and D fiction. There's a series called NPCs where the uh, non-player characters, the some heroes are, are killed, 
in an inn and the non-player characters decide to four of them to pretend to be those heroes and try to solve the issue and and they succeed in the first book i i read like the first two or three there's supposed to be another one coming but you know with 2020 who knows yeah um, that yeah. changes everything right it did yeah and i think in some ways it changed things for a little bit for the better in some ways just because society is maybe it seems like everything slowed down just a bit. I, I think I think there's good and bad to that. Right. I it, More it's, bad. It's, that's an, there's a whole show in that topic right there. I might oh, I might yeah. take that topic We're because gonna, like yeah. I I think I went to a I went to an art gallery show a couple of weeks ago and mm-hmm. somebody brought up a point and they were a lot of the art was pandemic related. Okay. Or, or inspired right and a lot of it was very uninspired just in mm-hmm. general and mm-hmm. somebody i was with brought that up and they're like artists have had all this time why aren't they creating amazing things yeah and i kind of said because they're trying to pay the rent right they're they're struggling i'm like being an artist is tough enough in the best of times right you know so now you've got them trying just to figure out how they're going to put food on the table how they're and i'm like that really can downplay your ability to be creative because you're dealing with all these outside pressures so so either you're not going to produce amazing things Mm. or you're going to produce incredible things but they are going to be definitely influenced by Mm -hmm. this little thing that we're all going through and personally you know i'm one of those people if you want to relate it to filmmaking I don't really want to sit down and watch a movie about the pandemic. No. You know, and there there started being these shows that were popping up about like, you know, love in the time of COVID, I think was one of them. And I didn't, I didn't see it. So I, I, I won't pass judgment on it, but I'm like, I'm living this. I don't really want to watch a movie about it. Exactly. You know, or in two or three years, do I want to watch something about what I went through two or three years ago? You know? So I think it can have and, a bizarre I, effect on 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 artists. Yeah, and and I mean I can see both sides of that, but I'm I'm on you. You you've said how I feel about those movies in a succinct and perfect way. It's not that I don't think they have value. It's just that I can't see it at this time. Well, it's, it's too soon. It's like the old right. ad, adage: it's too soon. I yeah. mean, I, I keep thinking about. I keep flirting with watching the one. The, the one about the birds where it's <clears throat> the, the pandemic's been raging for four years and it's just gotten worse and worse. The, oh yeah, I know the one. Yeah. It's the, like a horror movie, but it's, it's I know the one you're uh, talking about. I just don't remember the name of it. It's like, it's, they're up to like COVID 20 or 21 or something is like the, I think it's yeah. the MacGuffin in it. Yeah. Oh my yeah, God, that's depressing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank you. You know, it's exactly. And I, and I think about it, but yeah. Yeah. And I mean, no. I, I sit there and I think, what if the end of the movie is, is horrible, you know, and I just don't want a negative ending or I just can't bring myself to watch it yet. Too much crossover yeah. with reality. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're talking a little about too much reality. You're there. talking about your fantasy, uh, not, a movie yeah. that's, that's fictional, built on mm-hmm. fantasy, and then you're introducing way too much reality than people mm-hmm. want to handle right now yeah i think i mean from a from you know living in la and being in the middle of all of, of the the filmmaking part of it you know there there was a time because it completely changed how we work 
So mm-hmm. like as a, as a performer, as an actor, you know, I used to go, I'd get a casting call or I'd meet with an, an, a casting director or I'd meet with a director and I'd go into their mm-hmm. office and I'd charm them and I'd, you know, hopefully get the gig. Well, all that, all that's done remotely now. Yeah. So, so we have to do self tapes mm-hmm. and, and you have to find somebody. Well, at first, a lot of the casting directors, and I'm not making this up, they would send out when we were all in lockdown, they'd, I literally got messages where they said okay you're going to do a self-tape but i want you to have somebody in the room reading with you it's like well hold on a second Mm -hmm. Um, we're all in lockdown we're not supposed to be interacting with other people and then after a couple weeks they kind of went oh we didn't think about that right so now we have to do it all remotely so i have a friend i call up on the on facetime and and i'm like Mm -hmm. hey can you read the lines while i'm recording this in my and it's it's not the same experience you know you can't get that live energy you can't show what you're really doing because it's being filtered through several lenses because not only is it the recording it's a self-tape you're also filtering it through the delay of responding and acting to somebody who's on zoom or facetime you know so it's it's just made things very difficult but Mm -hmm. people were trying to make movies like that and i'm like i i I don't want to do that you know that's not that it doesn't I know you want to work. I know you want to create things. And I, I salute the fact that you want to try to be inventive about how you're doing it, but that just doesn't get my creative juices flowing. Yeah. I seem you to know. recall, I came across something that was actually somewhat a, a horror film. And the premise was that it all took place over a zoom meeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I've seen a couple of those. Yeah. I've seen, there's, there's a few of those. Yeah. There's like, um, not appealing really. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, and it, I mean, ironically, I mean, ironically or however you want to take it i mean you know we're recording this on 9 11 mm-hmm. and you know how oh, many who wanted to watch a movie about 9 11 exactly after so, it happened i mean so there's been a handful of films that have come out since then and mm-hmm. i think people want to see them and i think people when you see them people are affected by them but you're not going to get a line around the block going to the to the movie theater Right. To go relive what we all lived through. Well, I I'm, mean, I maybe at the art house here in Cincinnati. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Theater, but but that's a film discussion. That's like cinema. Like, how did you attack this? You know, I'm bad choice of words. How did you? How did you approach the subject? How did you do mm-hmm. that? Yeah. But it's like it's like Hotel Rwanda. Mm-hmm. I always use this as an example. Moving film, absolutely yes. moving, gut wrenching. Mm-hmm. Do you want to sit down and watch it once a week? No. And revisit that? No. no. You know, but I'm glad I saw it. Schindler's List Schindler's. is another example. Amazing yeah. film. Amazing approach mm-hmm. to the story, but it's still a gut-wrenching tale. You can only watch it so much, especially right. if you have a connection to the story, you know. So it's these that- people that are just churning out these COVID films and using it as a way to tell a story. I think they need to take a step back and be like, you know, there's a lot going on. And there's more coming. I've seen the I've seen the breakdowns. I've seen the mm-hmm. uh the the stuff so you know and there's going to be at least one probably breakout that people will see more than others of course i'll bet you it's a comedy yeah probably you know that would be my guess yeah probably with pete davidson (laughs) (laughs) i like him i do too i really do i mean he's got no pretense he's just who he is honest open straightforward and and i like that I yeah. love that about him. And he is funny. He's actually a halfway decent actor when he puts his mind to it. Mind you, I think he tends to play to roles that are actually him. Yeah. The stoner. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know? I think he's coming or I think he's starting to 
ch- want mature. to challenge himself and yes mature Didn't yeah you something just recently? i love the i love the running gag that he doesn't understand why he's still on snl <laughs> i think there's a lot of people that don't yeah. that. right exactly it's like yeah you know other he says uh, people will ask me how'd i get the job i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i actually read for a i read for a movie he's in recently uh-huh. oh okay yeah so uh, he with- i'm curious how it's i didn't get it but i'm curious oh, okay. how it's gonna turn out yeah it's a very like it's like a i can only say so much but it was mm-hmm. like it was like an entourage kind of film it was okay. about like behind the scenes in the entertainment industry and mm-hmm. and stuff. So I can it, see that. It looks like it could be a lot of fun. It's a very 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 broad comic film. Well, I know that so. one of the things he's done um, recently or fairly recently, I guess, because I saw an interview about it, was that he's had some of his tattoos removed or covered mm-hmm. because they they have a negative effect on his career moving forward. We just saw him in that Ryan Ryan Reynolds movie. Yeah, that's what he was in. Okay. Which one? Oh, free free guy? guy? Free guy, yeah. Yeah, that was that was funny. Yeah. It was really I'm I'm a fan of Ryan Reynolds because we share a birth date. And because oh. well, he's Ryan Reynolds. You know, <laughs> and he deserved to have fans. Well, and it, it, it's him, Weird Al, Dwight Yoakum. I enjoy all of their art. Ang Lee shares the same birthday. I'm you know, yeah. their his films aren't necessarily my cup of tea. And uh, oh and Johnny Carson. So, well, I heard pretty good crowd. Yeah, not bad. And and mm-hmm. he was very open about it. he was not happy with the way SNL was. Uh, you know, he was kind of felt like he was being pushed aside, or he didn't he really Luke, lost he... his voice there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I, I like his honesty. I don't yeah, know. He probably right. he probably just... suffers some some blowback for right. it. But I appreciate he... his honesty. But let's get back mm-hmm. to the to Ascension. It's yeah. like the yes. it looks to me like it's the first of a trilogy, right? Is that the case? It's the first of, it's the first, it's one of two parts. There's, mm-hmm. I do have an entire trilogy planned out, but the mm-hmm. first two tied together. And then the third one is a kind of a standalone continuation of it. When it'll get done is a whole question, getting back to our earlier conversation about art moving forward. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, it definitely, it, it is the first part of two. So when you when you get to the end, you'll see what I mean. Yeah. Did you have your your story completely mapped out before you started writing, or are you a, a fly by the seat of your pants, see what happens kind of writer? You know, when I when I first when I was younger, I was a fly by the seat of your pants writer, where mm-hmm. I was very much about let the muse take me and the characters mm-hmm. take me and whatever. But as I got older and more experienced and especially starting to do more work in film work where you have to plan things out. I realized that the more that you plot out the broad strokes, the, the deeper you can get into your story. Mm -hmm. So Ascension, Ascension, I actually wrote about 10 years ago. I wrote the Mm -hmm. first draft and it sat in a drawer for six or seven years. Yeah. And then I pulled it out and I reread it and I, and I went, okay, as a writer now, let me, let me revisit this story. And the, the original version was much more, it was, it wasn't as adventurous. It wasn't mm-hmm. as, it was more conceptual. And I went, got back into it and I'm like, okay, what's missing from this? And I said, and I really wanted to make more of a, of an adventure novel. And, and I, I'm a fan of Clive Cussler. 
for example. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people aren't. I love his books. And part of the reason that I yeah. love the books is because, you know, fun characters, fun adventure, end of the chapter. You want to see what's going to happen next, you know, page turner. Yeah. So I, I'm like, I want to turn Ascension into a page turner, but I want it to be a page turner with very interesting ideas and very, very different places to go and new concepts and really reach into some um, ideas that haven't been delved into before. So that's why when I get comments where it's like, it's like sci-fi Dan Brown, I'm like, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll absolutely take it. So I, so I got into it and I started looking at it with that point of view. It's like, how can I make this a page turner? You know, what is, what part of it? So here's the writer part. What part of it is servicing the audience and what part of it is just servicing myself? Yeah. You know, and I went through, I'm like, nope, that's, I'm like, that, that page is for me. You know, that's Mm got to go, you know, that's got to go. And it's like, Mm -hmm. there's a, there's that old, old adage of the, it was a max Senate or the Keystone cops or whatever. It's like, cut to the, get, just get to the chase, get to the chase, you know? So it's like, if there's too much time describing and there's too much time getting into these intellectual passages and it's like, well, how can I tell that through action or how can I tell that in a way that, that happens quicker the audience gets it and moves on and definitely you know dan brown has his detractors and he also has his supporters but i'm like you can't argue the fact that you look at a book like da vinci code Mm -hmm. and he gets those ideas across Mm -hmm. and then lets the audience do what they will with them and and moves on with the action so that's kind of what i wanted to do with it so i've I've very much have gotten to the point now as a writer where whether it's a book or a script or anything that I work on where I, I have a, I have a roll of butcher paper, this big roll and I roll it out on the floor and I get down with pens and on my hands and knees. And I, I will chart out the entire story from beginning to end. And then I'll draw circles. And I'm like, okay, well here, here's, here's the scene and I need to get to this scene and I need to get to this scene. Yeah. And then you fill in the motivations and you fill in the action and how to get through the process. Yeah. So that's my way of doing it. You know, everyone has their own way, but it serves me well. I feel like yeah. that's a mature way to do it. Cause I've, I've dabbled in writing. I actually wrote a crime novel when I was in high school Yeah, and it was very much fly by the seat of your pants. And then by the, by the end of it, I could see all the things that were failing about the story because I didn't know where it was going. And and mm-hmm. while that may seem appealing or like mimicking life or something like that, in the context of storytelling, it's just a disaster. It, it, I think <laughs> everybody wants to, every writer wants to think they're Jack Kerouac mm-hmm. and sit down at that typewriter, you know, maybe not hopped up on drugs, but sit down on that typewriter <laughs> and just say, I churned out this, this amazing novel in 48 hours or whatever. And mm-hmm. it all came from some magical place. And I think there are ways to do that, but it, it's, it's a once in a lifetime kind of thing. And, and you really have to, I think it comes with practice and I think there's some luck involved and in people who can actually do that. But if you're, it's a skill like anything else and you have to be able to to know the storytelling structure and like in screenwriting to 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 use that as an example i i talk to screenwriters all the time who are like oh i'm working on i have like 10 scripts and and i'm like oh well tell me about them and they're like well here's what happens i'm like well wait a minute where's your act structure and they're like i don't use act structure i'm like 
Okay, mm-hmm. but if you, you haven't figured out how to what the rules are, how do you break the rules? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, okay, I understand the three act structure, I understand the four act structure. And then once you understand that, then you can go back and be like, okay, well, here's how we can turn it on its head. Mm-hmm. because I understand how it works. And, and it took me a while to learn that. Cause I, you know, I was in my twenties and I, my, my, I was 14, 15, 16 years old and I was having plays produced. So, I mean, I was this, like, I thought I was going to be the next Orson Welles. I thought I, mm-hmm. you know, I was this young buck who was like, I'm going to conquer the world. And, and I admit fully admit that there was an ego that went with that. And I look back and it's like, wow, if I had learned certain lessons earlier in life, things would have been different, but I also learned lessons from, from the experiences that I had. Well, yeah. So I think, I think there's a maturity that comes with it and it makes you a better writer. Plus you can, you can, you can do more. You can, you can, you can churn out more work if you follow certain rules and and are able to plan things out and able to not spend that time spinning your wheels or quote unquote writer's block or whatever. Even though you're kind of in this fantasy realm with dragons and things like that with the section, mm. right? I bet you look at that mm-hmm. and you see things that this this is from my life. This is taken from mm-hmm. my life, from my experience. This is this is indicative of the way I view, you know, things in yeah, everyday because life. The best sci-fi isn't about the dragon, it's about the story. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So so ascension for those who haven't, you know, it's 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 like st- people are like, "Well, how would you say?" It? I'm like, "Well, it's like Stargate meets dead like me you know with a little bit of little bit of you know death it's about a group of a group of scientists who discover that on the other side of life is not death it's an actual alternate universe and when people cross over to this universe you're either remixed back into the vat so to speak or you are poofed and you get a chance to return and it, it touches on the ideas of philosophy and and there's, there's a little bit of buddhist philosophy Religion, in there and philosophy yeah it touches on all these things which are all things that interest me and the funny thing is i am i am an openly open agnostic atheist so and and that's who i am me but too. i'm fascinated with death and mm-hmm. not in like this morbid way not in this like right. I, you know skulls and that kind not that I, right. which is sure. funny because I'm a Viking and people always try and give me skull stuff. And I'm like, uh-uh, I don't like skull stuff, <laughs> but I'm fascinated with the, the I'm fascinated with the fascination with death, I think is what it is and how we as a society find ways to not be afraid of it, how we find ways to mm-hmm. be afraid of it, how we find ways to deal with it. Mm-hmm. I think all of that fascinates me and as a writer. So I wanted to get into that. So that's what I said earlier when I was like, how do I find an, a page turning way to deal with these concepts? And so that's, that's part of me that's definitely in there. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to explore these ideas of, you know, maybe we don't understand certain things and, and, but come at it almost from a scientific point of view. And that's where if you, once you get in deeper in the book, I scientifically explain how the death process works and how how a soul crosses over to this other side mm-hmm. and i tried to really base it in actual scientific ideas and concepts of 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 dna and 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 the electricity of the brain and those kinds of things but i wanted to do it in a way that was adventurous mm-hmm. yeah you know 
So yeah, I'm I'm agnostic as well, with a little bit of not so much the atheism. Philip's closer to the atheism, I think. But I I believe there's probably some kind of higher power and the soul is definitely I believe in the soul, but I don't necessarily believe there's like this guy sitting on a throne going, You go to hell, you go to hell, you go to hell, you go to hell. Yeah. Right. So I think you'll enjoy this then if like the soul because the soul really like Mm -hmm. the idea of the soul as an electric entity really enters into the book and the and the the science of using it as a gateway, as a key to get to this other, this other realm. Yeah. You know, cause the original, the original name for the book was the realm because that's okay. the, the world that they go to on the other mm-hmm. side that they discover. Right. And, um, and how, but then you also, and that's where the, the Dan Brownish kind of side enters into it. You have mm-hmm. to have the secret organization that wants control of this other side and they've actually had contact with it. And then they come back and, you mm-hmm. know, you know, there's, they have to go find these relics that, that people have used in the past in order to cross over, you know, and how, why did they cross over? How did they get, there's a secret language, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, that's where that whole Dan Brown con- comparison comes in, which again, I am totally fine with. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, art. Okay. So that's all very, you know, that's all interesting. I can tell you for a fact that we didn't get a chance to read uh, very much the book and that's because we, we, finished we got the a, prologue. we got a really heavy schedule you know? right. so, but but once yeah the, we we accidentally scheduled a whole lot of podcasts but once, once, once that's not a bad week, thing no, well, no. it's been we're, fun actually we're, we're but, covered weekly through the month of october if we do no more by tomorrow but at least, oh, at least we got hooked on it um, yeah almost you know within yeah, the first uh you know yeah cut few pages three or four pages mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah i gotta have this so yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be uh and once we get the hard copy i'll probably read it myself but yeah. but one thing i wanted to talk about our little buddy our cat our mm-hmm. show, uh, snowshoe siamese got out of the house yesterday he's got an immune deficiency Day before yesterday yeah mm-hmm. and he's uh, yeah. So, so. We, we had about 24 hours there where we thought, thought we lost him no no mm-hmm. when i came home I was looking around for him and, and all of a sudden I glanced down and I looked to the right and he's like discovering the same area that I'm looking at. You know, yeah, like, he's, what, like, he's like, what are you looking at? Yeah. <laughs> so, he's just there. Yeah. So he's like, like nothing happened. So we're course. animal lovers. And I know yeah. that you have, you are an advocate for wolf rescue. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Absolutely. Wow. That was a, that was a great segue. So <laughs> yeah. So my, my production company, my entertainment company, is called Viking Dog Entertainment. Mm-hmm. And we believe, and I believe that it's important to find an area where you give back. Mm-hmm. And personally, for me, I had the pleasure of, I've always been a fan of wolves. I, I grew up in the Northwest where, you know, you're very close to nature and, and rural areas. So I've always had that, that connection. And then I, I've always been a fan of wolves and, a few years ago, I got the chance to go out to a group called Wolf Connection, mm-hmm. which is a wolf uh, rescue sanctuary here in California. And when you finally get to interact with these animals, it's mm-hmm. it's an amazing experience because people think it's this like, you know, it, it's going to be this fairy tale thing where, you mm. know, they like something out of a book and you re- and suddenly you realize that this is a wild animal that can tear you open if they really yeah. want to. And I, I have a friend who has two wolf hybrids. 
And mm-hmm. so they, you know, you never realize how strong they are and you never realize how powerful they are until you get close to them. Right. And then you get to interact with one basically in the wild. And when they come to you and they accept you and they inter- interact with you, it's an amazing experience. And it's, it, it became the thing that I wanted to, to find a way to give back. Mm-hmm. So what I do is my company gives a portion of all of our proceeds to Wolf Rescue. Mm-hmm. So a portion of them. But one way that we really actively do it is we have a line of uh, T-shirts that mm-hmm. we sell. And some of them, personally, just to hit my story really, really quickly, years ago, I lost a lot of weight because I'd I'd become very unhappy with my life and and some Mm -hmm. other things were going on. And I kind of blossomed up to a really high weight. Mm -hmm. And I was at about 260 pounds. And and I just, Mm -hmm. there was a couple of events in my life where I was just like, this this can't work anymore. This isn't sustainable. I had a friend who died, some Mm -hmm. other things that happened. And I just said, enough. Mm-hmm. And so I changed everything and lost, um, got down to under 200 pounds in a couple of months and changed the way I looked at my life. And what came out of that was this, this mantra of never doubt your power. And it honestly actually started my ex-wife used to, it was a joke with my ex-wife because she would say something and I would look at her and be able to, you know, open this jar and I would open it and I'm like, never doubt my power, you know? So it started as this joke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it became something where I was like, people started gravitating toward me and they're like, how did you do this? So I'm like, well, never doubt your power. You can do this. You can achieve what you want. Mm-hmm. So that's always been my mantra. So the, my company, <clears throat> excuse me, my company Viking dog, we, we started with some shirts. That's just never doubt my power. And we started selling those as a motivational shirt, like gym shirts and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so a portion of those shirts goes to Wolf Rescue. We also have a line of actual wolf shirts, you know, Save the Wolves, Leader of the Pack, those kind of shirts. And if you purchase one of those shirts, 100% of the proceeds from those shirts goes to Wolf Rescue, 100%. Mm-hmm. Wow. So there's That's five of them. Right now. Viking, uh, the Viking dog store.com is where you can go directly to buy the, mm-hmm. the shirts. Viking dog entertainment is our overall site, but I would, I would direct everyone to the Viking dog store.com or our Instagram page. Viking dog ENT is a mm-hmm. great place to, to get all the information. You can see the shirts. You can, you know, be directed to the website. You can see information on, the films, the movies, the books that we're doing. We we have our first outside author, Douglas Rappaport. We're going to be releasing his book called Dead People, which mm-hmm. is a it's like a, a Chuck Palahniuk meets Douglas Adams dark comic sci fi novel that we're really excited Ooh, about. You just um, sold it to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. With a little bit of Dashiell Hammett, so it's like it's a really interesting mm-hmm. thing. So that's me coming out this fall. But again, you can see the shirts, you can, you know, be part of the Save the Wolves campaign. You know, some people, there's a little bit of pushback from some people. They're like, look, you know, because there's a whole issue with the hunt and, you know, about conservation and wildlife and whatever. And I'm like, that's a great discussion that people should have. But we support the wolf rescue organizations and you can't argue with the work that they do. The, there was a curious coming out of the, coming out of the last administration, they took wolves off the endangered species list, Mm. Uh, even though numerous organizations, 
federal officials, or, uh, public organizations said, don't do it. And they still did it. And as soon as they did that, a number of states organized wolf hunts. And mm-hmm. some of the wolf hunts went well. They would pick a certain number and some of them vaulted way past that number. There were cases of... Because uh, people always do expletive inserted here stuff like that. It's, it's, it's you know, some it, there's an argument that's being had. Some people claim that you know, they're killing livestock and that, you know, and other people claim that it, they're not. And mm-hmm. I won't get into that. That's a whole other discussion here. But, you know, you have situations like in Oregon where they're going in helicopters and they're shooting wolves and pups from the helicopters. Wow. And there's a there's a tragic story about where they they're using trackers that are supposed to be tracking the wolves for conservation efforts and to to see their their habits hunters are are illegally using those trackers to find the the dens and then they're so basically they're following the dad home and they're mm-hmm. killing all the the pups in the den and there's a tragic story about where what they did this to one den and the 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 father the the male escaped mm-hmm. and ha- and literally sat there and watched them murder the 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 pups in the den and it's like yeah. you know that's well, a whole other discussion that. and that can be had but when you have a wolf that's trapped or you have a wolf that's been injured or abused and mm-hmm. it's taken to a group like wolf connection and they, they nurse them back to health and they give them a safe place to live. And then the, the wonderful thing that a group like wolf connection does is they use the animals in educational purposes. So they, they teach about, not only do they teach about wolves and what they do and how they are important to the ecosystem, they bring out youth from troubled homes they have kids that are have criminal problems or from the inner city and they bring them out to the to the organization and they use the animals to get in touch with them and help them bring out their problems and use them as an educational purpose mm-hmm. and i challenge anyone to fight me on the fact that that's not a good thing yeah and yeah. you know so that's that's where our support goes the whole other side, stop the hunt. I have my personal beliefs and, you know, that's a different discussion, but mm-hmm. I do not believe that you can, you can argue that the, the work that a group like Wolf Connection does is, is not important. Well, like so that's be- why we're, that's why I'm 110% behind them. And that's why we donate these, uh, everything we can. These wolves are, mm-hmm. if you think of them as like dogs, that you're, you're off base because they're, they're, a lot of they're them are very, not. very large, very majestic, very powerful Mm-hmm. part you know, animals in the wilderness and it's like i like the way you've adopted that as a part of your brand and i think that's a, a worthy cause well the viking dog thing is important because one reason that 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 became the brand was you know it, it's not a specific breed it's not a specific kind of, or of of animal it's a anybody it's it's a ideal and anyone can be a Viking dog. So like we have shirts. It's like be a Viking dog because it's, it's a it's a mentality and it's a mentality of don't roll over. Don't don't let somebody tell you what you're going to do. You know, you can mm-hmm. fight back. You can have this mentality, whatever it is. Never doubt your power. You can come back and achieve what your goal is. And it just, you know, with my connection with wolves and my belief and my experiences, it just all kind of comes together in this natural way. And I, I believe that in life, it's like, if things start to come together very easily, that's usually a good thing, you know? So 
it's there's an I'll, I'll hit on one other thing there's a there's a video out there and, and i've posted it on some of our sites but if you have a chance go out and find it and it's about mm-hmm. how they brought wolves back to yellowstone and oh, how it actually affected that. the conservation efforts in a good way and i yeah. would challenge people to go out and watch that and it'll change your mind so. right. well i don't mm-hmm. it's all good there's all good points i don't have I don't have anything else for you, but I usually reserve the last mm-hmm. question for my better half here. Mm-hmm. Okay. And my <laughs> usual last question is, is there anything that we didn't touch on or ask you that you would have expected us to? Would I, That I would have expected you to, or that mm-hmm. I would have hoped you did? Either one. Are, That's a good question. You know, I, I, I would have expected, one thing I get asked a lot is about, mm-hmm like gossip and like, well, what's it like to work with this person or what's it like to do that? And it was very refreshing to not get that. So I will say that was what I was expecting. I didn't get it. And thank you. As far as hoping, you've been incredibly thorough. And one thing I really enjoyed was this was a very conversational interview. Um, Well, that's our goal. We we basically- we basically want to have a conversation. Exactly. And I I think, I think that's amazing because there's so many shows that I've been part of on, on either side of the, the quote unquote microphone where it becomes just promo. Yeah. And I think, I don't think audiences, I think after a while audiences are like, man, I don't know. I've heard. Get bored with that. No, stop shilling your stuff. And actually the last thing Philip asks is for your promo, <laughs> <laughs> you know, your socials, that kind of thing where people well, that's different. find your stuff. Yeah, that's, that's I will say that I just tried to go to vikingdogstore.com and it gave me a, a server message. Just so The you know. Viking Dog Store? Oh, the. Okay. No, I did yeah. not put the the. Yeah. Okay. The Viking, because we're the only one. So is this shill time? Yep. Is this is Go this promo it. time? Sell uh-huh. yourself. Okay, I'm huge. I, I my base of operations is Instagram because I find it a very more uplifting than than a lot of other places. So mm-hmm. I would I would ask if you're interested in me as a person. Mm-hmm. I am the Angry Viking mm-hmm. at on Instagram, and then Viking Dog Entertainment is Viking Dog Ent mm-hmm. on Instagram as well. And I would just tell people to go there and then you can branch out to to everywhere else mm-hmm. and of course like we were talking about please check out the the line of shirts and apparel at the viking dog mm-hmm. and you can check out some of our various shirts gym shirts tanks men women and children because kids mm-hmm. need shirts too yeah and yeah just visit us on instagram and you can see more information about Ascension, about Doug's book, Dead People. It's coming out this fall. Truth is available on Amazon, iTunes, Google, various platforms. Ascension is available from Amazon and Barnes and Noble, mm-hmm. as well as Kobo, Google Play, Google Books, I, Apple Books, all the various usual suspects. Mm-hmm. And um, just keep an eye out. As we all come out of COVID, everybody's going to start working again and hope to have lots of fun projects to tell everyone about. And Getting back to it. Mm -hmm. All right, Eric Erickson. It's been a pleasure. It has been. Thank you. We'll do this Mm -hmm. again sometime. All right. Thanks, guys. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. Have a great week. You too. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye.
Hey, listeners, it's Lisa and Phil from Yeah, Uh-huh. How are we doing? We love feedback. Please use our socials to let us know what you think. We have social. Twitter. Yeah, Uh-huh Pod. Instagram. Yeah, Uh-huh Pod. Facebook. Yeah, Uh-huh Pod. Notice, Notice a, a pattern? pattern? Website. www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week.